Amen. I love stories of life change. It's exciting to see where God's at work, isn't it? I just want to encourage you that if you have a story that you'd like to share, uh, I just want to encourage you, you can go to our website. Uh, there's a link that you can click. Just click on my stories or go to springbrook.org slash stories. Um, we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. Pastor Matt's been doing a fantastic job coordinating, getting our stories recorded, and so uh, we'll help you with that. You don't have to worry about what to say or how to say it or what you're going to look like. Um, but I want to encourage you to, uh, to take some time just to reflect and, and to think about what you're thankful for and where God has been at work. We would love the opportunity to capture uh, those stories uh, from you. Well, today we're kicking off a three-week series on Thanksgiving, and we're going to spend some time uh, celebrating and reflecting as we move towards the Thanksgiving holiday. It's coming up fast, isn't it? Each week for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the reality of the fact that we can be thankful because God has a plan. We can be thankful because God provides us hope, and we can be thankful because God is good. All the time, God is good. And so each week, we're going to be celebrating a different portion of what is something that we can be thankful for as we move towards the holiday. It's really easy to get sucked up into the holiday and forget why we do what we do. And then on November 29th, we're going to be kicking off a new series as we move towards Christmas. We're going to be looking at the true meaning of Christmas uh, as seen through the book of Isaiah, as Isaiah foretold Christmas. And so we're really excited about that, And so, but we're glad that you're with us today as we kick off this series. You know, today we're looking at celebrating and being thankful. Being thankful because God has a plan. And that's good to know, isn't it? No matter what's going on in our life, God has a plan. It's so easy to get caught up in our circumstances and to lose sight of being thankful. You know, this past week, uh, actually the past several weeks, uh, I've been working on our budgets for 2021. We've been talking about our staff about ministry adjustments and thinking about what next year looks like. And we're starting to plan things for next year. It's hard to believe. I'm, I'm halfway through 2021 right now, and I'm still trying to finish 2020. And so sometimes we kind of get caught up on our own planning. But I was spending some time thinking back and reflecting on this past year. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? I moved into this uh, position at the end of uh, January. We got to February. I started working on a couple things. The next thing you know, March hit. And that just kind of went downhill from there. I was thinking about this past year, everything that we've been through as a church body with COVID, with quarantines, with ministry staff and and restructuring, and we've had the loss of good friends and family. Our ministry has been through a very difficult year this year. It's interesting to reflect on some of the things that we've been through as a nation, both with the lawlessness, with racism, with hurricanes. And I think the government even introduced the idea of aliens at some point during the summer. Big joke about it. We've had floods, and I've been hearing about murder hornets. And I mean, our nation has just been through a lot this year. And then I found out, I was just kind of doing some quick research. Did you know that there was hundreds of billions of locusts that went through uh, Africa and Asia at the beginning of the year and just kind of did devastating damage to these parts of the countries? There have been significant issues that we have gone through individually as a body of Christ, as a church, as a nation, and as a race. You know, we don't even need to talk about the election. There have been so many things that are happening right now. They're still going on. It just seems like at every time you make a turn, something else is happening. There have been painful losses, health issues, jobs, school issues. You have been through some significant trauma this year, recognized or not. You know, have you ever wondered where God is in this? Have you ever wondered, does God have a plan in this? We're going to look at that this morning. God does have a plan. 
You know, that's important to know. You know, I was working through some things uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't have a meltdown, but there was a couple of days there where I was just not having a good day. <laughs> I was like, I can't take any more. And I came to Psalm 55. I want to share that with you this morning. It was an encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Psalm 55, verse 22 says this, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will what? He will sustain you. You know, I was reflecting on that verse. I was meditating on that verse. It brought my compass back to zero. And I thought, oh, that was just what I needed. And then I got in the car and I was on my way to go pick up some kids. Carolyn and I were doing something. I got in the car and all of a sudden, steam starts coming out from underneath the hood. The radiator gone out. I think I've got a head gasket blown. I'm thinking, this is not what I needed. I just went... There's another care. And so I worked through that. And then I got home and, and, you know, it's November now. So in November, we get to turn on the heater in our house. We, we have this, we wait till November to turn the air conditioner on. And I knew it was working earlier. And so the air conditioner has been working. Haven't had a problem, tested it. Yeah, it works. And guess what? The heater went out. It's like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. I just, boom. These are all first world problems. But I'm going one, just, just list after list after list of things that are going wrong. You know, it's funny because I just got through praying this verse and now I'm trying to work on my thermostat. The guy wanted to come in and fix it. I, it's the thermostat, so I can fix that myself. It's really expensive. My thermostat's on back order. So I got a light switch right now that's operating my thermostat. I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty creative, actually. It took, <laughs> right? <laughs> I did cheat, though. I told the guy before he left, I said, you got to tell me which one of these wires does what. <laughs> You turn it on, then you turn it off. It's that simple. So I'm sitting there working. You know, I got, okay, I got all done. I'm sitting there working. I think I was working on my message from last week or something. And I'm sitting there and it's starting to get comfortable in the house. And then I realized it's really getting hot. I had forgot to turn it off. It doesn't have a thermostat. There's no, there's no control on that thing. So I'm constantly having to remember to go down and turn it off. I mean, it has just been, it's just been one thing after another, after another. Those things wear you down. They're like water drops on your head. And, and sometimes you just want to shout out, God, would you please take care of this for me? You know, Psalm 55 was an encouragement to me. I want to share eight other verses with you that I hope will be an encouragement with you. Um, you can write these uh, down, or uh, if you're watching online, take a screenshot. I'll put these up on our website a little bit later, too. But Psalm 55, 22 is an encouragement. Psalm 68, 19 through 20. Proverbs 12, 25. Isaiah 46, 4. Those are all Old Testament pro- promises of God sustaining you and in- encouraging you when things are difficult. And we need these reminders it's important as we move through the holidays, before we get caught up, that we stop, we step back, and we reflect, and we give thanks. And those four Old Testament passages I know will be an encouragement to you. There's also five from the New Testament that I know will be an encouragement. Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30, Romans eight eighteen, Galatians 6, 2, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, and 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. You know, if you are struggling, I pray that you are encouraged, but I know ultimately that our encouragement comes from the fact that God has a plan. He knows what's best for us, and our encouragement comes from his word. And so I pray that that's an encouragement for you today. I would encourage you to look those verses up and reflect on them, because I tell you, it is so easy for us to get discouraged. And I want to encourage you today that no matter what's going on in your life, you have something to be thankful for. We can be thankful because God sustains us and God has a plan. God sustains us and God has a plan. 
And you know what? That plan has been in place from the beginning of time. God has had a plan for us. God has a plan, and that's the source of our being thankful. It's the source of our showing gratitude is knowing that God first loved us, and, and we can show gratitude because of his promises to sustain us and know that he's bringing about what's best in our lives. You know, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, if you're watching online, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to focus on verses 14 and 15 in just a moment. But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, and it's an almost in its entirety, just for a second. But, you know, chapter 1 in Genesis, and it's really easy to find because it's the first book, right? Just go, open. it's right there. Genesis chapter 1 sets the stage for us. Um, The days of creation, we see the creation account, and it highlights that in detail. As you move into chapter 2, we get the details of what happens on day 6 when God created the animals and when he created man and woman. And so chapter 2 gives us the detail of what happens on day 6 from chapter 1, if that makes sense. When we get to the end of chapter 2, everything is good. In fact, after God has created woman, he says it is very good. You know, we just needed that icing on the top to make it very good. When we get to chapter 2 at the end, everything's great. There are no problems. It's in chapter 3 that everything goes south. Chapter 3 is when things get bad. It gets bad historically. It gets bad um, fatally. It gets bad inescapably for every single one of us. Chapter 3 tells the story of the fall. Beginning in chapter 3, it talks about the serpent. who was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really tell you you should not have eaten any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we can eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. At the sound of the Lord, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He was in their presence. He was walking with them. They were in the presence of God. Unlike that we are today, where we have the Holy Spirit working in and through us. They are in the presence of a living God. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, and they hid themselves among the trees. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, well, the woman you gave me with, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And so the Lord God looks to the serpent and he says, because you have done this, cursed are you among all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
And then to the woman, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to that of your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, curses the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you're going to eat your bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you will return. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of the living. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And he said to them, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing the difference between good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take hold of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. There is no access any longer to the Garden of Eden and to the Tree of Life. It's protected and nothing can get in. We have been separated from God and from his presence. And the effects of that are for all eternity. And so chapter 3 affects every single one of us. Chapter 3 is where we get evil. It's where we get sin. It's where we get corruption. It's where we get pain. It's where we get disease. It's where we get death. It's why there's racism. It's why we have bias. It's why we have conflict. It is the source of hatred. It's the source of war. Chapter three is the source of everything that is wrong in the world. Look around and tell me, what do you think is not the way it should be? It's because of chapter three. Chapter three is the source of the human race and the problem that we have. Everything that is wrong in the world, everything that is wrong in the world comes from chapter 3. And so I want to back up for a moment, and I want to look specifically at some areas where things went wrong. We're going to do it in reverse order, and we're going to start with the man. You know, beginning in verse 17 in Genesis, he said this to the, he said this to the man. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and to dust you will return." And so let's stop for a second to take a look at what's happening at, at, uh, with Adam. Because you listened to your wife and because you ate of that fruit, cursed is the ground because of you. Everything that you're doing is going to be more laborious. It's going to be harder. The ground that you have to work is now cursed. And it's because you listened to your wife and not me. You see, back in Genesis chapter 2, when things were good, in verse 17, God creates Adam before Eve is even there and tells Adam, don't eat from this tree and places him in the garden. And then he gets to start naming animals. There's no one found to, that's suitable for Adam. So he creates Eve as a helper. And then Eve comes along and it is after God has told Adam not to eat from the fruit of the tree. 
Adam made an intentional decision to listen to someone else, not God. And as a result of that, sin enters into the world, the ground is cursed, and now we have a problem. And what we see in Adam is failed leadership. It is a lack of responsibility. It is a place where we see the first blame. What's the first thing Adam did when he got, when he got found out? He tried to blame his wife. No, that's on you, Adam. God told Adam not to eat the fruit, and he did not obey God. And then he dragged his wife into it. So instead of saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't eat that, or let's try to find something else to eat, he just kind of moves along with it. And as a result, the ground is cursed. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, and you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you're going to eat your bread. Life is going to be harder. You're going to have to work harder by sweat. You know how much work it takes to get sweat? For some of us, we don't have to work very long to get sweat. Sometimes you have to go to the gym for a while to get sweat. But you are going to be working hard now to take care of this ground that you've been entrusted with. Work is going to be more difficult. And then here's the kicker. To the ground you're going to return. Out of it you were taken, for you are dust. Till, till, to dust you're going to return. Do you know why we die? We die spiritually and physically because of the fall. The ground's cursed, your work's going to be harder, and guess what? Your time now is going to be limited on this earth, and you're going to go right back to the dust. All of that happens because of Adam's failure to lead his family well and to listen to God and to put God first. And it causes a problem for everyone. I want to just say thanks, Adam. Then we get to verse 16, and look what happens to the the ladies. To the woman, he said, I'm surely going to multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire is going to be the contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, I have had the privilege of raising four daughters, and uh, each time I was able to be present when they were born. Trust me, that's that's a lot of work. Every time I think about that, I think, wow, that could have been a lot easier. (laughs) Wouldn't that have been nice? Oh, don't eat the fruit, right? I mean, childbearing, I tell you, I, you might, if I was a woman, you might talk me into having one child, but there is no way you're talking me into having two. Who's going to go through that twice? It is painful bearing children. Don't eat the fruit. Because of you eating the fruit, in pain you're going to bring forth children. That one is, we can adjust that one because we can forget, we can block it out, and it's a blessing to raise the children. But then we get to this next one. It says, your desire is going to be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, I am sorry that's there. <laughs> I, have, I have four wonderful daughters. I have a wonderful wife. I have five ladies in my family that are all strong women. You know, we have a lot of conversations about the role of men and women in the church and what it means to be a leader in our family and what our roles need to look like. The Bible defines for us what roles need to look like. And it's because of the fall, we have this issue with what's going on between husband and wives, between men and women, the roles of families. Families are being redefined. Marriage is being redefined. Everything is up for grabs when it comes to our relationships in the context of the intimacy that was, we were created to enjoy in marriage. And it's all because of the fall. 
The desire is going to be for your husband, and not desire from a, a, a you know, a, an emotional perspective or from an arousal perspective. It's not that kind of a desire. The desire that the woman now has is to, is to be contrary to what the husband's desire would be. And so there's, there's this difficulty that needs to work itself out in our marriage relationships. I don't know if any of you are married right now. It's a lot of work, isn't it? I mean, I tell you, every time we, every time somebody tells me they're getting married, I'm thinking, oh, good for you. (laughs) You're going to love it. (laughs) Marriage is a lot of work and you don't think about it going into it. I mean, you're thinking, oh, I love this person. Oh, they're so beautiful. And, and, oh, this is going to be great. And and then the expression is the honeymoon's over. And sometimes it happens really quick. And sometimes relationships drift in either regard, marriage is a lot of work. And if you can't communicate with one another, if you can't work these through issues through, it is going to be, it's going to be hard. We've got to figure out how to work through and talk these issues out. In Genesis chapter four, God says to uh, uh, Cain, they're talking about their offering. And in chapter four, verse seven, the Lord's talking to Cain And he says, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you will do well, will will your offering not be accepted? And if you do not do well, if you do not do well, if your offering is not what it needs to be, if there's a problem there, sin is crouching at your door and it's desire, sin's desire, evil's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It is exactly the same framework, is exactly the same words that are used when God is talking to Cain about what's going to happen if his offering's not right. Sin is going to be contrary to what you should be doing, and, and, and you need to rule over your sin. And so in the context of marriage, we need to get to the point that we love each other, we respect each other, we, we, we work together, but we have different roles in marriage that are critical for us to understand if we're going to have a godly marriage. Now, you can define it however you want, and you can have the kind of marriage that you'd like to have on your own, and it can be whatever you want it to be, but God's design for marriage is that for the husband to be able to lead his family well, and for the wife to submit to his leadership. That's a godly picture of what marriage looks like. Now, we can do whatever we want with it, but if we want God's best for us, we're going to figure out how to make that work. In um, Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the role of men and women, wives. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his, his body and is of himself is a savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit in everything to their husbands. Now, because of the fall, that is just messed up. Because when we talk about submitting to somebody, we do not think of it from a biblical perspective. We go right to that, lord it over. He's good. Don't tell me what to do. There's something in us that rebels. There's something to us that's that's contrary to what should be happening in our relationship. And that's where sin steps in. It's where divisiveness happens. It's where relationships get broken down. But there's roles within the context of marriage, and those are all have been destroyed because of the fall. That's what's going on right now in our families and our marriages and our culture. 
It's under attack. And sin is waiting, and Satan is waiting to continue to erode those relationships. Now, I know how difficult it is to submit. I have to submit to our elder board. I have to submit to my leaders. We all have to submit to somebody. If you've got a job somewhere, trust me, you're submitting to somebody. We all have to submit. And every single one of us has within us this this innate selfish desire that says, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. That's just the way it is. Welcome to the fall. Welcome to Genesis chapter 3. Oh, I wish they hadn't eaten that fruit. But you know what? We're all suffering because of that. And I know that submission is difficult, but I tell you, husbands, man, it is, it is, you've, you've got it too. That, first of all, you have to respect that position. You have to respect that God-given responsibility that you have. But then it also says in verse 29 in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? What did he do? He gave his life for us. He sacrificed himself. He was a servant leader. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. And it is a high calling for husbands to love their wife as Christ loved the church. And if you are thinking about getting married or if you're going to get married at some point, I want to encourage you right now, men, your responsibility is to lead your family spiritually, physically, emotionally. Men, you are responsible for what happens in the context of that marriage. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame the serpent. Men, you are responsible for leading your family and leading it well. You lead your wife as Christ led the church, and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church himself in splendor. Men, do you think about how you can present and uplift your wife so that your relationship is one of splendor? Men, we have a calling to sacrificially love our wives. We want to present her without wrinkle, without blemish, holy, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. This got destroyed with the fall. And we're, we're at each other. And we see both for the man and the woman, we each have different things individually that we have to work through. But then we also have these roles and the relationships and our communication and everything about our relationship that is, uh, is, is work because of the fall. And then we get to the serpent in verse 14 and 15. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. To the serpent, he said, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's going to bruise your head, and, she's going to, and, and you shall bruise his heel. And so there's a couple of things we want to look at in this passage with regard to how God's dealing with the serpent. First of all, we see that there's a curse uh, that the serpent experiences. Cursed are you above the livestock. Now, the form of this word is, is it's not a comparative word. 
It's not as if you are more cursed than this person, or you're more cursed than this animal. And so it's, it's not a comparative kind of cursing. Of the animals and the livestock, you're lifted up and you are cursed. And so there's a curse that the serpent is going to experience. Now, we all experience the curse from the fallen world. The animals, everybody is experiencing the curse. But the serpent has been set above all of that, and he is going to be cursed in a different way. And it takes the form of a snake. And I think, you know, snakes get a bad rap. I had a, my kids, we got a, we had a little green garden snake. It was a green snake. I love that snake. Um, and every, every once in a while, though, it was kind of a joke. It's like, oh, is it okay to have that? Is that like a little evil thing running around the house? His name was Stanley, and uh, he used to stay in his cage, and then we got him out once, and we started playing with him, and then he got a taste of freedom. Never stayed in that cage again. He was always trying to get out, and then we spent half our time keeping the snake in the cage, and it turned out to be a disaster. He got out during one winter where he was missing, so the snake was loose in the house. Everybody's freaking out. Where's the snake? So we don't know where the snake is. It wasn't until spring that we found him. He'd gotten outside, and he got in the snow. He froze to death, and he was just kind of laying there. I actually felt bad for the snake because I really like the snake. But you know what? God doesn't have anything against snakes, so to speak, um, in terms of animals. But the issue is, is that Satan had taken the form of a snake. Satan is cursed in the form of a snake. And that's where the curse resides. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17 It talks about Satan being thrown to earth. See, originally, before before we came on the scene, um, we had, Satan was actually one of the angels, and he fell from God's favor. And this story is told in chapter 12. There's a war that arises in heaven. Chapter 12, verse 7. There's a war in heaven. Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels are fighting back. And so we see the dragon and his angels are fighting against Michael and his angels. But the dragon was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. And the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth, and all his angels were thrown down with him. You see, God is a perfect God. Heaven is a perfect place, and God will be (laughs) glorified. And if you try to argue with that or you try to take God's position, you're going to lose. It's a battle we're not going to win. God's first in every area of our life. And for, for Satan, he learns that lesson. He loses, and he's kicked down to earth, and he takes the form of a serpent. And that's the one that we find is getting the curse. You know, Satan, in the form of a serpent, has been cursed And so you are cursed above all the livestock and the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. Not only are you cursed and you're thrown out of heaven, but you've been cast down to earth. But now you're the lowest of the low. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. You are now at the bottom, and you have been cursed. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He's going to bruise your head, and, and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity is... It's hostility. It's animosity. God says, I'm going to put hostility. I'm going to put animosity. There's going to be this battle between you and the woman. And it refers to these kind of acts of violence that they're, they're, they're just, 
they're going to make somebody mortal enemies. You know, some translations actually say, and you're going to be enemies. Some translations say there's going to be a war between you and the woman. Some translations talk about the fact that there's going to be a battle between you and the woman. And that's the reality that we see right now. There's this battle for her, between her and Satan, and that battle continues today as part of our offspring, as a part of our offspring. And it's the next part of that passage where we find the deeper meaning of the word offspring and her offspring and and your offspring when he's talking to Satan. See, the offspring comes from the word seed. And there's two big ideas behind the meaning of the word seed. The first word for seed or for offspring refers to the generations of people that are going to be able to trace their heritage back to Eve. And guess who that is? Everybody. We're all offspring. We're offspring of Eve. Then we're, then the world gets flooded. Then we got Noah and his family. And then we're offspring from there. And then we got Abraham and his family. So when you look at offspring, offspring always traces itself back to an origin. And so I've got four daughters. I've got offspring. I've got four offspring. Carol and I have four offspring. Now I tell you, when I first became a believer, I thought it was funny just to call my kids, hello, little offspring. They did not think that was funny. So don't, don't do that to your kids. I thought it was funny. I got a kick out of it. <laughs> I have four little offspring. And guess what? Now one of them has an offspring. And so now there's this whole offspring thing stemming out from my relationship with Carolyn. We are all offspring of Eve. And guess what? That war is playing out in our lives. That war is playing out in our lives um, today. Ephesians 6 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against what? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus Christ, through his death on the Christ, gives us victory. There is no battle between good and evil. That's already been settled. But there's a war going on for us. As the offspring of Eve, you know, right after this happens, the first thing that happens is they come to Cain who would kill Abel. You know, those, uh, those offspring of Satan, are, are, they're, they're, they're going right after Eve's offspring. We see it with Cain and Abel. Then we go right from there. We go to the pharaohs that see Moses. And then we go to the scribes and the Pharisees that would oppose Jesus. We see this war going on between Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring. And it, it's playing out right in front of us. And we see that clearly today. But in Matthew chapter 22, verse 33, there's something that happens in there. Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's arguing, they're arguing together about, you know, who he claims to be. And in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, he says this to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you serpents, he calls them serpents, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you ever going to escape the sentence to hell? You see, if you don't understand who Jesus is, there's a consequence for that to that's going to play itself out. Rejecting Jesus comes at a cost. It's eternal separation. And Jesus is trying to explain to the Pharisees who he is. They're rejecting him. And as a result, that separation is going to be something that happens for all eternity. And so it's not just a war that's playing itself out today. It has eternal consequences. And we see that war playing out throughout Scripture. In John chapter 8, the Jews have got Jesus surrounded at the Mount of Olives. He's been talking to them and reasoned with them. He's, he's you know, dealt with the woman with adultery. He's done the line in the sand. He's made claims to be the light of the world. He talks about the fact that the truth is going to set him free. And they've got him surrounded at this point. And they're trying to talk to him. And so Jesus says, look, I speak of what I have seen. 
I speak with what I have seen with my father. Jesus Christ was with the Father, and he got sent down. So he speaks of what he knows to be true because he was with the Father. But you, what do you have? You have heard, well, you've heard from your fathers. In verse 39, it says, Abraham's our father. Jesus says to them, well, you know what? If, Abraham was, if, Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the things that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. You're seeking to kill me. I'm telling you what's true. If you were really from Abraham, you would not be doing this. You would understand I am who I claim to be. You're doing the works that your father did. They said to him, well, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus says, you know what? If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word and what it means to you? Are you trying to take first place? Do you really want to be first to the extent that you're going to put God second? That's the same problem that Satan had when he got cast out of heaven. You're not listening to me. You are of the father, the devil. You are the father of the serpent. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and his father lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not from God. We need to pray that the Spirit of God opens up the ears for people to hear the news about Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is to share the hope that we have within ourselves with others, and it's our responsibility to trust God that he is preparing people's hearts and minds to hear the good news about Christ. We have different roles. We have different responsibilities. We see this curse that the Satan, that the serpent has to deal with. You know, we have a responsibility to listen and to make a decision with what we hear. And you know what? The serpent has offspring today. And we're still battling us out. There's a second meaning for the word offspring. The first one was the generational. There's a second meaning for offspring, and it's rooted in the understanding of the word seed. You see, the Hebrew perspective is an, is an offspring is determined through the male. You know, we have seeds, and our female counterparts have eggs, and you know, the male is the one who carries the seed. But here we see the seed coming from what? Your, your seed's going to come from her. And so the woman is going to bear offspring. The woman is going to bear the seed. It's also a singular pointing to a specific individual. And I want you to listen to the truth here. Listen very carefully to this truth. When Jesus was born, he was the offspring of a woman. His conception was from the Holy Spirit. There was no male seed. You know, in Galatians 3.26, it says the promises that were made to Abraham and his offspring, it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Is that next verse available for a slide? I don't think it was, was it? Yeah. These promises were made to Abraham and to, and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Christ is the singular offspring. 
from that singular seed that we find in Genesis 3.15. Galatians 4.5 says this, but when the fullness of time has come, when the fullness of time has come, God sent from his son, born of a woman, born under the law, he sent him to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Jesus Christ came to redeem us, to put us back in right standing with God. Jesus is the solution to our problem. When Jesus died on the cross, he delivered a crushing, bruising blow to Satan. The cross was God's death blow against Satan. It was the payback for the fall. We're still battling Satan, but the war has been won by the offspring from the woman. And so if I was going to outline what this fall looked like, It looks like this. In Genesis 1 and 2, we have a heavens and earth, and it's a perfect place. And we're with God. We're we're in God's presence in all of its fullness is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. We're in God's presence in all of its fullness until chapter 3 when the fall hits. And then we fall. We're separated from God, and we are living in this trough right now. That's you and me right here. We're in this point of time. But the world is broken. I mean, when you look around right now, do you see brokenness in our world? I mean, I do. (laughs) It's everywhere. And it's because of the fall. And as we move through time, we have the assurance, because of who we are in Christ, that when he comes back, he's going to come and take all of those that belong to him up to the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to be once again restored in God's presence when Christ returns. In the meantime, we're in this fallen world And we can experience the promise of this new life now because of who we are in Christ. Jesus, John 10, 10 says, I came to give you life and give you life to the full. You can start to experience this right now because of who you are in Christ. But we're going to die and our bodies are going to be here, but our spirits are going to go someplace else. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today, because you believe in me, you're going to be with me in heaven. And so we're separated spiritually and physically from our bodies. Until Christ returns, we're going to be rejoined. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to get new bodies and we're going to be in heaven for the rest of eternity. And he's going to restore the relationship through Christ. And we can experience that today. And that's the assurance. That's the hope that we have right now. That even though the world has fallen and broken, we know that God has a plan. Ultimately, his plan is to redeem us as people to himself. That's what God's goal is. That's what his plan is for us today. And so this next slide, we know that the world has fallen and broken. We see that. But going back, that's not what God's original design was. Next slide. God's original design was that the world was perfect. We were in God's presence. Sin enters into the world, and now we're experiencing brokenness. That's what's happening right now. Sin caused it. But you know what? God had a plan. The good news is this, that if we place our faith in Christ, we can experience a restored relationship with him. Next slide. The good news is that through a relationship with Christ. If we repent and we believe in his person, we are made new. The old is gone, the new has come. We're new creatures in Christ and we have the assurance and the promise of spending eternity in heaven with him and having life and having life to the full. We still have the brokenness, we still have the problems, but we live our lives out in light of the fact that that's not where our hope is. We pursue and begin to recover a restored relationship with God until Christ returns and then it becomes something that will be physical. 
And here's the best part. I love this part. The last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, we see the angel appears. He shows a picture of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God to the, and the Lamb. In the middle of the street of the city, there's, on either side of the river, there's a, there's a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and its servants will worship him. They will see his face. They will call his name. His name will be on their foreheads. At night, there will, night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or sun, for the Lord is going to be their light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. We get access to the tree of life. We're right back where we started. We have the tree of life that is now available to us again because of who we are in Christ. And that is good news. That was all a part of God's plan. And that is something to be thankful for. No matter what's going on in our life, we know that God is bringing about and working out his plan. The only way to understand some things that are happening, the only way for us to look around and make any sense out of the things that we see with our eye is a result of recognizing the fall of mankind. Everything that we see as a problem is because of the fall of man. And we need to understand the enmity, the battle between the offspring of evil and, the, and, and Eve and the evil one. There's a battle that is waging on for us. And so all the things that we see, Satan wants to use to discourage us, to destroy us, to cause depression, and to bring us down. He wants us down with him. And we need to understand that God has something more for us. This world is not our home. We're not going to spend forever here. We know where we're going, and that's where our hope lies. The Christian life will always be a struggle. So many times people make faith commitments and they think, well, I thought this was going to get better. You know, I, I remember when I made my faith commitment, I walked into my wife, I said, hey, I made a faith commitment. Everything's good now, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> we sought to work on stuff. The struggle is real, but we're living our life out in light of who we are in Christ. There's always going to be a struggle. Don't get discouraged. Life isn't easy just because events don't go the way that you think they should. Adam and Eve tried their best to cover up their sin and their shame. God gave them, you know, the opportunity to cover themselves up with fig leaves and, and he made them skin. And, you know, I'm sure those things all fell apart. They were constantly having to keep up. You know, think about how much work we put into clothing ourselves today. It's a lot of work, isn't it? You know, it was work for them back then too. I don't know how long those leaves last. You need a new leaf. <laughs> Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. The bruised and broken Messiah. He is the destroyer. He's the one that has put to death. You know, he's, he's overcome death. He's overcome Satan. He's overcome the devil. And it's all a part of God's eternal plan. You know, God's eternal plan is to sustain us, to give us life in Christ, to save us from our sin, and to give us new life. And as we head into Thanksgiving and we head into Christmas, I can't think of a greater gift over something that we should be more thankful for. In Romans 10.10, 10, it says this, For the heart 
One believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Our salvation, our eternity hangs on the balance of what we believe about Jesus Christ. We are justified by our faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. For you are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the work that you have been prepared in advance to do. We are justified because of who we are in Christ, and then we work our faith out on a daily basis. You know, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you that that is the most important decision that you're going to make in this life. That's what's going to sustain you. God promises to sustain you. He promises to give you new life. He will see you through whatever you go through, but you can't go through it alone. We need Jesus. You know, if you have never placed your faith in Christ, that's the first step that I want to encourage you to make this morning. I've been talking to people for weeks and months. We've had several people have made faith commitments you know, throughout this year at Springbrook. We just came off a great series coming off the book of Acts. I know many of you are having conversations and praying with people around you. Conversations are great. I love to talk to people. But you know what? At the end of the day, talk, 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 talk. You've got to cross the line of faith. And so if you've been with us for maybe the last year, maybe the last two years, I don't know how long you've been at Springbrook. If you've been a part of our Springbrook family and you cannot think back and remember the point at which you made your faith commitment, today is the day I want to encourage you, commit your life to Christ. With your heart, you believe and are justified. And having a relationship with Christ is is as simple as believing and, and confessing with your mouth. There's a prayer that I'm going to invite you to pray, and I want to, I want to encourage you that this prayer is dangerous um, because if you don't believe it, it's not true. Saying the words does absolutely nothing. Saying words doesn't do anything. But if you believe in your heart that Jesus was God, that he died on the cross for your sins, if you want to be his child, see, God loves everybody. For God so loved the world that he loves everybody. But only those that have confessed and placed their faith in Christ does he give the right to be called his children. And so if you want to be a child of God, if you want to be saved from your sin, if you want to have the assurance of spending eternity with God in his presence when Christ returns, then you can pray this prayer. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe that through his death he paid the penalty for my sin. I believe that he came back to life. He was resurrected from the grave. As best as I know how, I'm asking him to come into my life and to be my Savior and Lord. John 6, 44 says, No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. If the Holy Spirit, if God's Spirit is drawing you into making that decision today, I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer with me today. Just pray it. We'll pray it right now. Let's pray it together. Father, I just thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I want to be your child today. I believe that Jesus is God that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was resurrected, that he's going to come back and he's going to take me to be with him. And as best as I know how, I want you to come into my life and to be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is your desire to pray that prayer, or if you did pray that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're watching online, there's a little hand. You can just click that. I want to commit my life to Christ today. And then you can click a little button that says, let us share that with you. If that's your desire to commit your life to Christ today, we want to come alongside you and, and help you to continue to grow in your faith. Because it's like getting married. I'm married. I said I do. Okay, we exchange rings. And then the work starts, right? I mean, we have to work. We need to encourage each other as we work through this battle together. And we want to encourage you 
If that's your desire to have a relationship with Christ today. And we want to celebrate that with you. You know, the Bible says that every person that makes a faith commitment gets baptized. And so we've been talking to, we're still, we're still talking to 20 people. I got this nice baptismal sitting over here. We'll fill it up with warm water. It's going to give you an opportunity to publicly confess your faith in Christ and be baptized just like Jesus commanded us, just like Jesus modeled it, just like every baptism you find in scripture. We want to celebrate that decision with you. And so if you're online, you can raise your hand. And if you, uh, if you want to, you can go to uh, uh, use that connection card. You know, go back to that. Yeah, if you have questions about Jesus, if you still have questions today, let us know. Click that connection card. And so there's one in your chair with us if you're in person as well. If you have questions about how to have a relationship with Christ, let us know. If you made that decision um, to uh, place your faith in Christ today, let us know that so we can celebrate that with you. We've got some great gifts for you. If we can help you continue to grow in your faith, we want to help you to be able to do that. It's my prayer that as we move forward, Uh, towards the end of this year, and we move towards the new year, that God would continue to grow us in our faith, that he'd continue to give us clarity as to his calling in our life. And as we move towards Thanksgiving specifically, let's pause, let's reflect, and let's give thanks that God has a plan for you and for me. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you that um, as we look around, uh, we know that you're in control. There's nothing that escapes uh, your purview. Even the hairs on my head or the lack of the hairs on my head. God, you've got those numbered. You are into the details of our lives. I just thank you that you have a plan. I thank you for the promises of your son. And I just pray as we move towards Thanksgiving, God, that you would continue uh, to draw each of us closer to yourself. We look forward to all that you have for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be sure and join us next week. We're going to be looking at the hope that we have in Christ. And so uh, we'll be exploring more about that. I hope you have a great day. If you have any questions, please let us know. Uh, May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ rest on you today. Enjoy your afternoon. Thank you.